People don't want to change for the most part because it's hard to look at yourself and admit that you've been doing something wrong or that you're not doing it the best way. Well, why do we need all the labels? Like, why can't people just be who they are? Well, the, the thing is that I, I think people really need, psychologically, a way to categorize themselves and to feel like they belong. I see the black vulture picking at the carcass in the road. This is a podcast entitled What We Will Abide. I'm really grateful to those of you who have uh, expressed to me in person uh, how much you appreciate and enjoy what I'm doing with the show and how much you uh, enjoy the interviews that I've conducted so far. I also appreciate um, very much those of you who have expressed interest in being interviewed for the show. And I look forward to sitting down with um, some of you in the future. You can also comment on the show at samschindler.com in the podcast section. Each podcast has its own individual comment section. You can uh, also find me at samschindler43 on Twitter whenever a new episode is published, so you can feel free to express yourself in that venue as well. Madison Brown is a high school senior who is no doubt destined for some pretty impressive things. She stopped by the TBA school here at 43 North Lime Street to discuss uh, some of the groups that she's involved in um, and what the ideology is that undergirds those groups' missions. She was accompanied by her sister Paige, who offered some insights of her own from the perspective of someone who was entering her second year of college. I suppose it's somewhat necessary to mention that both Madison and Paige were my students at one point in time. Um, my name is Madison Brown. I am a current senior at Lancaster Country Day School. I am the chairperson of our school's Gender and Sexuality Alliance and an active member of our um, Diversity Council Green Committee, uh, basically any social activist group uh, that springs up. Feminist Union. Why all, That's a lot of organizations for one person. Why so many organizations, and why social activism at all? Uh, I guess because there are so many different things that are wrong with the world, or that could be better about the world, that it feels it would be incomplete, an incomplete effort on my part to do one and not the other, or to choose one and not also give some part of myself even if it's a smaller part, to another. Um, and I guess just being a social activist to me means being more compassionate to others than others have been to me. I think because I've spent, so, I mean, I'm, I'm not that old, I'm only 17, but I've spent so much time out of those 17 years being angry and wanting to get justice I'm doing air quotes <laughs> when I, when I, and for so long I thought that justice meant revenge or like comeuppance mm -hmm. when really as I've kind of delved more into it and like looked more at myself and looked more at the world I kind of realized that justice is it's pretty 
cliche, but like doing the right thing when everyone else is doing the wrong thing or doing the right thing in spite of doing of others doing the wrong thing. So what kind of obstacles have you come up against in your search for justice in this unjust world? Yeah, people don't want to change for the most part. Um, and I know what that's like because it's hard to look at yourself and admit that you've been doing something wrong or that you're not doing it the best way. Um, so I think that's the main thing is that people want to do good. A, a lot, most people that I've encountered, they want to do the right thing, but it involves doing something different than what they're doing right now. And that's hard for them to basically uproot themselves out of their comfort zone for something that doesn't necessarily matter to them or they think doesn't matter to them. A big issue on the docket these days for schools, especially high schools, is um, gendered bathrooms and what that means politically. And and it seems to me, my sense of it, although I haven't delved into it too deeply, um, is that it's exactly as you say, is that people are not willing to move on this. Um, how, do, how do you change people's minds in any institution? And if it's not working, why keep doing it? Well, I think the um, the thing about the gendered restrooms is really is like a very good concrete example is that people just don't want to spend the time to build or make available that kind those kind of facilities. Why are those facilities important? <laughs> because everybody needs to feel like they have a place in this world, or that there's a place made for them, or that there's a place that they can belong. So, basically, not having those sort of things accessible is basically saying that you're an afterthought or like, you know, like you're a contingency and you don't really matter enough for us to plan ahead for you. Why is this issue coming to the floor in 2016? I went to high school, as you know. (laughs) It's hard to believe. Uh, 25 years ago, which is hard to believe for me. If you think that administration of schools today are old fogies, Mm -hmm. uh, imagine them back in the 90s. Uh, That wasn't something when we were even... Yeah, the remotest clue about. Why is it an issue now? Why is it on the forefront now? I think that people have stopped being afraid of, or are less afraid of asking for what they need. Um, I think that there are a lot of, you can say that there are a lot of different evils that come from mass media and uh, increased visibility to certain things. But I also think that it has made it so that people think now, like, one, they're not the only one who thinks that, which there's strength in numbers. And two, that they and everybody else like them deserves to say what they have to say and ask for what they want. How do you galvanize the average 16 or 17-year-old who, um, you know, in in my experience, is... Not interested in, certainly, I mean, we can joke all we want about the lazy teenager, um, but that aside, isn't really, here's the thing, isn't interested in sticking their neck out. Why? Because how important are social groups, status quo, and fitting in when you're 17? I think what you really have to have, like, skin in the game, sort of, to, a lot of times, to motivate you to do something, like, a lot of... For example, a lot of our diversity council members, not not very many of them are white. A lot of them are people of color because white people at, at my school don't think that it, you know, they don't, they, there's nothing really for them that they think is riding on it. 
a lot of what I what I do like when I'm trying to reach out to people is to tell them about myself and tell them that you know you know someone who's affected by this you know me make them realize that it's close closer than they think since I started working with it four years ago we've increased from four people starting out really three people to um, <laughs> to about 20 or so three people is not just this is not just you right it's three people yeah including myself <laughs> now you're 20 you said yeah and uh, now we're 20 strong and like getting our, the word of like about our meetings and about our events and our you know when we raise funds or when we go places you know we're making that more known so yeah i think it has gained traction a lot of times what we do is just talk about anything and i think that for a lot of people it gives them an outlet to talk about things that either they don't really get to talk about like in their classes or in their current social groups or that they talk about briefly and then let go but it's actually more in depth than they know like so to on the intellectual side of things like if someone is truly like curious then we have discussions usually about current events what's really important to these groups is that they are and i think this is necessary to their survival is that they are they create safe spaces for people um so i think without saying that you've described a situation where you walk into a classroom and you know that it's free of judgment and as we all know all too well high school is like Dutch Wonderland of judgment. It's judgment wonderland. Judge Wonderland. Judge Wonderland. Right. And do you have something to say, Paige? Here's Madison, who's worked so hard in this relatively small environment, um, well-known environment. Um, and I wanted to ask you what you were seeing in the next sort of level. I went to you know, a debate between a couple professors about the like freedom of speech. Where's this the debate happening? Uh, I was at Bowdoin College. Which so, is in the state of Maine. Yes. Which um, is part of the United States or not? It still is. Oh, still is. Okay. Trump hasn't been. <laughs> <laughs> Editing matters. Well, I, I, you know, I get my advertising <laughs> comes from directly from the Trump campaign. So. <laughs> um, You're good. Yeah. And so they were talking about the freedom of speech. And so then they talked about like safe spaces and like things that Masson is doing. And like, I think that's really important. But one of my other teachers like proposed. And she was my freshman seminar teacher, and she was, like, an African-American woman. Uh, proposed that safe spaces sometimes um, actually hurt people because they stay there and they don't go out from there. Particularly with, like, racial groups she was talking about. So, like, they become friends with only the people of the same race, like, in the same, like, groups. Um, and, like, this was a huge point of debate between her and another um african-american professor who also happened to be um i think she was a lesbian so she like very much understood like the idea of being like persecuted for like what she believed in um and she like said that safe spaces are like the only way that like you can feel safe (laughs) (laughs) um that you can like meet other people with similar ideas but the like contrasting idea was like at this point like you're only closing yourself out from others And that by, like, sticking with those people, like, you're giving yourself a comfort zone and, like, some people refuse to step out of it subsequently. I think that a safe space is really 
intended for someone who doesn't know where they are. Like they're kind of like a road, like a a road map, like a marker. So a monument so that people can orient themselves when they're not sure what they, you know, what they want, what they believe or what they feel. Um, But once you get out of that stage, sort of like once you've kind of gotten out of the questioning stage or going through coming out and interacting with other people, having them know who you are, then, then really the safe space becomes more of a place for you to stop by occasionally because now you know the road. You kind of grow out of it. But that's not, like, what happens. Like, that's what's supposed to happen. But, like, you still see, like, kids sitting at the lunch table together. That's what happened. You know what I'm saying? That's, I mean, I, I guess I just say that because that's what happened to me. You we're demurring because, oh, we just sort of talk. But there are things that you do. I mean, you do have this one major event mm-hmm. where you kind of try and bring the idea of... I have to pay the meter. You do have a major activity that you do. You try to bring these ideas to the to the fore um, for the entire school. Yeah, um, it's... Describe that event. Yeah, it's a... It's a Euro. Um, it's a, <laughs> that will not work in the parking Any house. white girl purse has a Euro in it. True. <laughs> <laughs> we have our Day of Silence, um, which is a not just our event, but a nationwide event. You know, we didn't start it. Um, but we like the idea a lot, so we stole it. No, it's more... It's a... Um, a nationwide event that many, many different schools participate in that for one day, well, the gist of it is that students can choose to take a vow of silence throughout the school day, which the purpose of that is to bring attention to the literal metaphorical silence faced by students of from the LGBT plus community who are bullied or discriminated against or otherwise feel like they don't have a voice. We take away our voices too, so you can hear the silence, you can see the gaps in conversation. Yeah, we're trying to teach people that it's not, a, that some people still believe that it's still binaristic, that it's still either girl or boy. I said like a light switch where that's on or off, but it's really more like a dimmer switch, whereas there's, it's a spectrum. So we try to, or one thing that I would hope that, like, in general, um, activists in this field are trying to do is discourage people, you know, that especially people who work with young kids like teachers or parents, to stop using language like boys and girls, like, oh, hello, boys and girls, like, instead of doing that, or, like, ladies and gentlemen, like, it's, so, it's such a small thing, but it, it really plants the seed in your mind, like, from a young age, like, they weren't actively trying to teach you the binary, but they were. Like, you know, it was it was coded in the phrases that they use. So we try to discourage people from using those phrases instead instead of using, uh, like, everybody or, like... Yeah, frogs. Hello, frogs. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> I mean, like, that's actually would be kind of a cute way to do with a bunch of kids and they call them like all tadpoles. Anyway. My children are hopwisers. <laughs> They're hopwisers because when my son was not quite two, there was a huge grasshopper on the window. And he said, that the hopwiser going to eat me. <laughs> if you're in an audience of people and somebody says, okay now boys and girls or ladies and gentlemen, that doesn't include you. 
if you feel like you don't fit on one of those ends of the spectrums or the other. Yeah. Like that, it, they're, without really saying it, they're saying that you're the odd one out or like that you're the outlier, which is really a, a really dangerous thing to say, especially to a child, is to, to tell them that they don't belong basically in, because everybody needs a way to categorize themselves. You know, a lot of, a lot of times people ask me like, oh, well, why do we need to label, you know, like, why do we need to label, why would you need all the labels like, you know, pansexual and like gender fluid versus like by gender like agent and you know they ask well why do we need all the labels like why can't people just be who they are well the, the thing is that i i think people really need psychologically a way to categorize themselves and to feel like they belong somewhere somewhere yeah and when you when you give like those two options then there isn't really a somewhere for them that's like one box or the other you're outside and they kind of make it, it kind of makes that out to be a bad thing rather than something to be celebrated. It's so beautiful how people can be so different and you know, it's all equal. It, it's all equal and it's all natural and it's all worthy of respect and of consideration and of the time. You know, you wouldn't just say like, okay, well, all right, boys and then forget about the girls, you know? Like that's I mean, people would probably Called or you, sexist, or you would, and they would be called. Yeah, yeah, then you'd be sexist. called sexist. So that's basically the same thing: is that you're not that you're trying to get as many people in a in the in like a good place as possible. Like you're trying to include as many people as possible, because I think a lot of, I do, and I, a lot of people um, in my organization and in others, they, they know how it feels to not be included. And um, how damaging that can be. It stays with you. During the interview, I made a couple of comments that included some of the coded and labeled language that Madison and Paige were discussing towards the end of our conversation. Those comments were edited out of the final version of this episode, but they involved uh, a way of talking about um, people, which included statements like, old boys are this, or girls are like that. And they come so natural to my speech that I didn't even really consider what they meant, even in the context of the conversation that we were having. Madison was my student in her ninth grade year, and um, even though that was a while ago, I, I learned from her even then, as I learned from her during this conversation as well. Teachers can, should, and do learn from their students, whether they're the kind of teacher that admits it or not. As a teacher, it's really never okay to dictate from on high. Uh, it's certainly never okay to be a pedant. Uh, it's never okay to just simply lay down the law without explaining oneself and without offering the opportunity for discussion, for questions, for potential critique. Even if you as the teacher are in disagreement with the student's point of view, you've got to be open to those points of view. I'm someone who basically holds as a foundational tenant of his pedagogy independent thinking. I teach that to my students. I teach them to be their own agents. I teach them to sort through myriad material do a ton of research, and come up with their own well-hewn opinions. 
It would therefore be hypocritical of me, utterly hypocritical of me to say, no, sorry, you've taken that too far. That's not a realm I'm willing to go to. You've crossed the boundary. That opinion is unacceptable. Such a response or approach to a student would run directly counter to the very concept of teaching students to be independent thinkers. It would, in fact, be beyond hypocritical. What Madison is doing in saying that differences are beautiful and to be celebrated is an easy sell. The more difficult sell is that what those statements lead to, which is that the status quo must be challenged. And when you say you need something that's not currently on offer, perhaps in the form of restrooms, for example, as we discussed, that is a legitimate concern. And the pushback, which can often be generational, but not always, when that pushback comes from, let's say, overlords, for lack of a better word, uh, when that pushback comes from them and the response is no, you may not express that opinion. It's too dangerous. It presumes too much. It puts us on the defensive. And therefore, you can't have what you want. Therefore, what you're asking for is impossible. Then that is an example of tyranny. So it's up to us, our generation of teachers, that one should certainly model independent thinking and that one should encourage agency in our students and then fully support it to accept movements of protest and dissent to recognize and allow for clarion cries for change. It is upon us to do so. Anything less would be unethical, hypocritical, and oppressive. Thank you for listening to this episode. More to come. If you're like Paige and Madison and you have a lot of ideas about things like this, and you'd like to talk about them on What We Will Abide, please contact me. I would be more than thrilled to host you, to have a conversation, and to delve more deeply into topics of this nature. Original music is by Morning Stillness. The song is called Black Vulture. I am the black vulture, fill this form, find my place at last. Oh